Good morning. Love, love, love. Why all this talk of love? <laughs> love is the power of the gospel. And uh, this morning we're in James. We've heard from Jesus and John and Peter and Hebrews. And this morning we're going to hear from James, his answer to why love. And I thought I would share some stories to begin with because this morning we're looking at justice. Love is the power of justice. This first story comes from our Bible. The second story comes from James. The third story comes from Jesus. And the fourth story comes from John. This John. The first story is of two men, one very rich and the other very poor. The rich man had many flocks of sheep and many herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing. He had nothing but one little lamb which he saved a long time to purchase. He raised that little lamb. It grew up with him and with his children. He fed it from the table at meals with his family. It used to drink from his cup, lie in his arms, that little lamb was like a daughter to the poor man. Like a sister to his daughters. Like a brother to his sons. Like a child to his wife. It was their precious little lamb. One day, a traveler came to the rich man's house, but the rich man didn't want to use one of his own sheep or his own cattle to feed his guest. So he took the poor man's lamb. He killed it and cooked it and served it to make a handsome dinner for his guest. That's just not right. It's wrong. James tells his own story of a rich man and a poor man in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. A rich guy enters one of the gatherings. It could be a Sunday service, like this service, or it could be a satellite service on Thursday evening. He's obviously rich. He's attractively dressed in quality designer clothes. He has a Rolex on his wrist. He has an iPhone 12 to his ear. But right behind him is a very poor man in well-worn clothes. It's clear that this poor man not only sleeps in his clothes, 
but he lives in them. And they haven't been washed in a very long time. In James' story, all of his readers, including us, we are treated as though we are entertaining the rich man and the poor man. And that we treat the rich man like he's found the right place. And we treat the poor man like he's lost and found the wrong place. Both these stories, the story of the very rich man and the very poor man, and James' story of the rich man and the poor man, are stories of injustice. Jesus tells his own story. We read it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. And it's a story about two servants. Both of these servants are in debt. One servant was saved from prison by his master, by the king himself, to whom he owed a debt that he could never repay. It was that great a debt. And the king forgave the servant's debt and set him free. The other servant owed the first servant, the king's servant, a small payable debt. But when he couldn't pay it on the spot, the king's servant, who was forgiven a sum he could never repay, had the second servant, who owed him just a little, thrown in prison. These three stories are stories of injustice. In the first story, a man gets away with murder. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. In the second story, a man's treated with contempt just because he's not like the rest. Just because he's poorer than the rest. In the third story, Amazingly, a king does something unjust. And then his servant does something unjust. The king throws away the law and forgives his servant a debt that he could never repay. The servant deserves prison, and the king, in fact, threatened him with prison. And when he begged and said, 
I'll try to repay it if you'll just give me some time. But he knew he could never repay it. He was just trying to buy some time. And the king tore up the debt and forgave it. And threw out the law. And set the man free. But then the servant, the same servant that had been forgiven a debt that he could never repay and had been set free, turned right around and demanded payment, a payment that could have been paid if he had just given him a little time, showed him a little mercy, a little consideration, had a little heart, maybe even put himself in the place of the other. But he didn't. And when he couldn't pay up a debt that he could have paid, but was demanded of him on the spot mercilessly, the second slave was thrown into prison. He, the forgiven slave, strictly just, strictly by the law, ruthlessly punishes his debtor with the punishment his king had graciously forgiven him. And that makes me upset. And it should you too. Every one of these stories is an injustice that should upset you. But I have my own story. We sold our home. I gave up my dog. You know, I've told you this story. I had no reason to go. It was not a good job move. It wasn't a promotion. But we decided together that it was God's calling, that he was calling us to go to this little church of 50 people in San Francisco whose pastor of 38 years had died. The only pastor of the church. And so we went there. We sold our house. We couldn't afford a house there. So we had some money and we put it in the bank. But you have to invest it pretty soon. So I looked for some investment that we could... It would be a safe investment that would mature, that would grow with whatever the economy was so that we wouldn't lose the value of the little money that we got out of the house that we sold while we served the Lord there for a very small sum. I never got a raise in the 10 years I was there. The church could never afford it. So after a couple of years, after me doing a great deal of research, I wanted to invest in some gold. To make this story short, I got conned out of $5,000, which was a great sum of money. The FBI told me that this man who conned us out of $5,000 drove a white Rolls Royce in Corona Del Mar. And if you know the area of Newport Beach, you know it's not the other side of the tracks. You know, if I had been ruined by that injustice, this story would be much sadder. And you might even get a little upset and angry. But I didn't get ruined. We didn't get ruined. 
If I told you it was somebody else's story, it might be sadder, but it's my story. And it could have ruined me, and it could have been a tragedy. But I was saved. By a rich king. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. The fish of all the oceans. The birds of all the sky. And he saved me by his grace. Let's read James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, my brethren, show no partiality. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. Let me just tell you something about what James has written there. When he says, show no partiality, uh, we could substitute, show no preference, show no favoritism. Don't be prejudiced. Don't prejudge people. That's what prejudice is. It's a prejudging. Because we form opinions about things and we don't act in faith. We don't hold our faith in Jesus Christ. We hold our opinions of others. And the word that James uses is a pretty common expression. It's used in both the Greek Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. It's used in other writings of that period. And it literally, if you just break it down, it means to take hold of someone's face or to apprehend someone's face, or to evaluate someone's face. In other words, to take someone's face into consideration. But the face isn't just a face, it's a person. It's a persona, it's a presentation. So when you take into consideration another person, you're showing favoritism, either to the good or the bad either to your judgment of whether it's to your advantage or to your disadvantage. We are making ourselves judges when we exercise preference. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honor of the name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality or prejudice, or favoritism, or preference, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. In other words, we're going to have the book thrown at us. Not one violation, but the entire book. For he who said, do not commit adultery, there we go, also said, do not murder. And Jesus said, come on, you know you including me, speaking to us, you know you murder in your heart. You know you commit adultery in your heart. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act. That just about covers it all. Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law not of Moses, but of liberty. Now see, this is drawing directly from what he said. Don't hold your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. Because this is a punchline. We are under a different law. We are under what he calls the royal law. The law of liberty. The law of grace. The law of love. The law that God initiated when he sent his son Jesus Christ to eclipse the law. Because no one could fulfill it. We are all condemned. We are all judged as ruthlessly and as harshly as anyone in these stories. Without compunction by the law of Moses. But there is a law of grace that can not just set us free, but turn us into free people. Really free. Free to love. So rich, we can never give enough because God always outgives us. 
Not just in shekels and dollars and cents. In His grace, in His love. To make us young again. To make us rich in the things that people all around us in this world, in this country, in every country on this earth, are bustling and hustling and cheating each other and killing each other to achieve and to find and to discover. Because it's not something you can buy with money. It's something God gives you that makes you whole, that fills you with grace, that makes you not old but young again. You laugh when children play. You see their potential. You know what God can do in their lives. You love it when somebody who's out of place or who doesn't belong here shows up here because they, you know that they could come to know God and they could become another Paul. They could be turned from poor to rich, from lost to saved, from least to to most. They could be one of the most powerful, engaging, influential Christians in history because God has gotten a hold of them. He's poured into him his spirit, his resurrection spirit that we've been singing about. Walking out of the grave. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk out of that grave too. And yet we don't. We don't. It makes us feel good. To have it in the book, you know. Yeah, I got His grace. I got His mercy. I got His forgiveness. I got, got it all. It's in paper. It's in the book. I, I bet on the Bible. And then we go on and live our lives by everything else in the world. All the laws, all we get all uptight about everything that's going on around us. Why love? It's the power of justice. Not ruled, not enabled, not expressed by rules and laws. Love is the power of justice because it doesn't need rules to do the right thing. It doesn't need financial incentives. It doesn't need Congress. It doesn't need the Supreme Court. It doesn't need the President to do the right thing because it is our God who is the King and Lord of all who loves us and calls us to love others without partiality, without judging, Because when we judge according to the world's standards, we're bad judges. Judges we'd want thrown out. How do we define justice? Justice is depicted as lady justice. She holds the scales. Seen that? Can you picture that? Those scales are balanced. Equity. Equality, even Stephen. She wears a blindfold. Do you know why? Because she doesn't want to see the face of the person 
who's being tried or weighed by the court, weighed by the law, doesn't want anything to influence his or her judgment. We should be more virtuous than Lady Justice in the way we treat others, talk about them, post about them. Whether we know them or not, how many people do we judge and we don't even know these people except by what others tell us? We're a bunch of gossips. And it's shameful. And yet we hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody knows it. And what do they think of Jesus then? When they see us just like the herd we follow. No different. No different. James shows us in this chapter three things. He shows us that love includes what favoritism excludes in verses 1 through 5. He goes on to show us that love honors what favoritism dishonors. In verses 6 and 7. And he shows us that love admits, includes, welcomes in what favoritism forgets in verses 8 through 13. We haven't experienced God's grace. This is a constant challenge. This really comes from the heart now. You see, we, we, we can talk about grace. We can, we can run the computer and calculate, get projections, make spreadsheets. We can preach about grace. We can hail grace. We can hold it up and adore it. We can sing about it again and again and again and again. But we, even though we can do all of that, sometimes are not touched by that grace. We're not changed by that grace. And that should be a great concern of ours. If grace that we have been shown does not soften our hearts, change our attitudes. I mean, when we put our foot down, if grace can't cause that foot to tremble a little bit, or when we condemn somebody, or hate somebody, or reject somebody, or gossip about somebody, if grace isn't even in view, doesn't even cause us to go, whoa, what was that? Have I forgot who I am in Christ? Have I forgot what God has done for me? We're going to sin. We're going to fail. We're rooted in these worldly ways, but we're supposed to be changing bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit. So here's the way I see it happening. Like when I was cheated, and it wasn't just me, but I'm just 
making it personal because I'm the one who did the deal. I got the sign off, of course, but I was the one who did the research, the whole thing, and I got conned. And it didn't feel good. It really hurt at every level. I'm a, I was a pastor. I wasn't gambling. I wasn't on the stock market. I wasn't dealing in the back streets. I thought it was all legit. I just wanted to invest some money for my kids' college education. Something that wouldn't be depreciated over time. And I looked like a fool. And you know what? I was a fool. And that really hurt. So I withdrew into myself. I quit pastoring. No, I, I still went to all the places and did all the things and visited all the people. And, but for several weeks, I wasn't a pastor. For several weeks, I wasn't a Christian. Oh, I was, yeah, I was a professional Christian. Nobody doubted I was a Christian. But I wasn't following Jesus. I wasn't trusting Jesus. Jesus wasn't on my mind. That criminal was on my mind. He had my soul in the grip of his fist. I was his slave. I couldn't have told you what I'm telling you now then. Couldn't talk about it this way then. Didn't see it this way then. And I realized I was giving him a huge percentage of interest on what he had already stolen from me. I was paying interest on his con of me. It was like I was just taking bits of my life and doling it out and saying, Yo, you've done such a good job of conning me, I'm going to give some more of myself to you. I'm going to throw everything in my life away. I'm not going to be alive to my wife and my kids. I'm not going to be alive to the people that God's entrusted me to shepherd. I'm not going to be alive to the voice of God, the heart of God. The Word of God. Sometimes you wouldn't imagine pride could be that ruthless. Pride is the only poison that heals you when you swallow it. What could make you, what could make me swallow our pride if it isn't the love and grace of God? That's what broke the bonds for me. I realized I wanted to return to life and trust Him for a future that I couldn't see or even imagine. Funny how we can just black out over little things. And you know this is true. Little digs, little injustices. We're ready to throw everything away. I've seen couples in my office over the years, many, 
They're so uptight with each other, they're ready to divorce one another over one little thing that has grown into a mountain. And they can't even see, as I can see and others can see, they have so much to build on. Any other couple that were approaching marriage would say, wow, if we had your situation, we could solve that little problem easily. But pride is really the problem. And we're ready to throw all of our holdings, all of our joint earnings, everything we've built together as a couple, even the children. We're going to destroy the family over pride. Because we're not going to listen to the Lord. And His grace, I love to hear the sound. I love to sing the song. But it has no actual value in my life. That's what we say all the time. Because we don't put our faith in Him, but we put our faith in other investments. Because our pride is at stake and we don't even trust God with ourselves. And the proof of it? James puts his finger on it right here. Partiality. Ask yourself this, when you're watching television or listening to something, it can be even a commercial. You see someone of another race smiling and having a good time. Or there's a clip in the news that highlights somebody, but it's not your race, it's not your color. You think, ah, commercials, look at them trumping up this and building up that and magnifying that. Instead of rejoicing that someone, you know, is thriving in life. See, it's almost like we hate the progress, the advantage, the joy of others. We're so caught up in ourselves. And yet we are rich in grace through Jesus Christ. His grace, His love, the royal law, the law of the kingdom, the law that breaks the law law to forgive us, to bestow on us a new identity in Christ, to give us an inheritance, to give us a get out of jail and out of prison card or key for the rest of our life. All that is ours. You're just fine. When David got angry, as Nathan told him that story about the very rich man and the very poor man, and the rich man stole his little lamb, David got angry. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And starting in verse 7, it says he got so angry. He said, I'm going to find that man. I'm going to punish him. I'm going to make him pay four times over what he's done to that poor man. And we're all angry. We're going, yeah, Dave, go. And then God, through Nathan the prophet, who told him the story, it was God's story, you know, he said, David, I made you king. 
I overthrew Saul, your master. I gave you Saul's house. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. David, you are the rich man. You stole Uriah's wife. You killed Uriah. You're the very man that you want to punish. Out of the riches and the grace that I have bestowed on you. And then God said to David, you have shown contempt for me. Grace received that is not reciprocated is not grace received. It's grace squandered. Why love? It's the power of justice. We'll never be just enough. by the law. But we're not only just enough, we're a whole lot because God loves us. And when we love others like that, generously, graciously, we're a chip off the old block. People can see the identity. I see you. You look like your father. You look like your brother. You know, Jesus. You look like you've been saved by grace. When you sing that song, I see your heart in it. When you blow it, I see you quickly stop and go, I, I feel, I feel kind of ugly. I didn't, you know, that's just the old me. I'm going to put that old person off and put on the new person by faith. That's grace at work. We repent every day. Every day, not just once, every day, we repent. We change our minds. And as we change our minds, we change our hearts. And we grow in grace. And the more we allow love to be the power of the gospel that saved our lives, that bestowed on us the grace and mercy of God, the more we identify as his children and people see the Lord in us and that's a beautiful thing that's what the world needs to see will you stand with me I'm going to close us in prayer this morning Father, we know that all have sinned. All have fallen short of your glory, your reputation, your face. Help us to hold your face before us. 
to evaluate your face, to take your face, your glory into consideration. Each and every time we're tempted to hold another in your place. We do love you. Our love is weak and feeble. We do fail. Sometimes very miserably that we don't even want to acknowledge or admit. And yet you love us. You are the God of second chances and fresh starts. May today be a fresh start. Maybe a small one, but one indeed. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your inexhaustible, incalculable love for us through Jesus Christ. And it is in his matchless name that we genuinely pray and we say, Amen. God bless you.